Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey everyone, it's Steven, and this episode of Going Off Track is sponsored by the new album by Refused on Epitaph Records. That's right, Refused have returned. Finally, after 17 years, their highly anticipated new album, Freedom, is out right frickin' now. Oh, also, they're on tour with Faith No More, July 30th through August 7th. So, man, go see them. If you haven't seen either band, you gotta. Oh, man, you have to. Two bands that have been gone for a long time that just came back with stellar new material. Visit officialrefuse.com to buy the record, check out more tour dates, and much, much more. Refuse back with freedom. Man, those guys rule. So does Epitaph. All right, here's the show. Hello, welcome to Going Off Track. I'm Jonah. I'm Brad. And we are doing an introduction for this episode together. And we are off track. We are. Steven is probably... Off, completely off track. Off track. Mike, who knows? Who knows, who knows what Mike's doing? What is up with that guy, Mike? You see his name every week. <laughs> He's in all the photos. On this podcast. <laughs> I don't know. What does he... What's he doing? I don't know. We get, we He's get... the secret sponsor. I don't know. Yeah, Mike is secretly funding this whole podcast. Maybe we should guilt him into actually giving us some money. <laughs> Mike, if you're listening to this, which you're probably not, go to gongofftrack.com and We're going to take, take your name off if you don't start contributing Yeah, you got to pull money. your weight, man. You even showed up in like a year. <laughs> no, we love Mike. Uh, we don't know what he's working on, but... He is a busy guy. And he is a busy guy. Yeah. I think he's had a couple rough days. Yeah, so hang in there, man. We love you. We love you very much. Uh, who else we love is today's guest. Yes. Um, well, I love him. Brad probably doesn't know him at all. <laughs> uh, I think I did this podcast by myself. I love that he's a guest. Yeah. The Going Off Track podcast. Yes. He said yes to coming into the I'm podcast. I'm a fan of everybody who's come in to do the podcast. Exactly. He came into beautiful Rubber Track Studios when his band Law Dispute were on tour with Title Fight. They played at Webster Hall. It's an awesome show, and I've been trying to get um, Law Dispute singer... Jordan Dreyer on the podcast for a long time. We've had Adam Vass on, the bass player, who's also a friend of mine. And Jordan came by and we talked about a lot of really serious stuff. Yeah? Yeah, he's a pretty intense dude. I can be a little intense. I don't know if you knew this. (laughs) But I feel like we talked about, like, dying a lot and uh, just sort of like the nature of art. I don't really remember what we talked about because we recorded this a little while ago. So before we get too far into it, maybe you should, you might want to pause this and light up. Pause this, yeah. Light up a, a... a little 
wacky weed. Yeah, get in the mo- get in the mood. Pop a pop a well butane. <laughs> Set the mood. So you can get into this. Yeah, get into it. But yeah, Jordan uh, is a s- super intelligent guy. I was researching them, and uh, according to their Wikipedia page, in 2014, the band played over 70 shows in 16 countries. So that's a lot of shows. It's a lot of countries. They play a lot, a lot of countries. And their last album, I did the bio for, it came out last year. It's called Rooms of the House. It's a pretty awesome record. Um, so check out Rooms of the House. Check out all Loud Disputes records. Um, they're a really great band, really original and interesting music, super talented musicians. So, and yeah, and Jordan, it's funny watching Jordan, like Loud Dispute fans are like obsessed with him. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. He handles it very well, but I cannot imagine <laughs> dealing with people so into what I do. Right. Because. Rabid. I always feel like a fraud. Are they rabid? They're very, him? they're very rabid. <laughs> rabid fan base for a lot of dispute. Um, but yeah, so probably the rabid fans don't care about anything that we're saying and just want to hear Jordan. So why the fuck are we still talking? Let them let them have what they want. Giving you guys what you want, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Jordan Dreyer from My Dispute. Enjoy. What's up, Jordan? Nothing. Thanks for coming back. I feel like we've been trying yeah. to do this for I so feel like, long. I feel like I've been forgetting to text you back for so long. That's what I you just, really mean when you say that. No, no, no. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I've just been harassing you, so no. I feel bad. <laughs> no, I'm just brain dead. Tally and I were talking this on the way over. I'm just the worst person with phones, so yeah. I, I apologize. No, don't worry about it. The time before, though, we tried to do it, and I we couldn't make it work logistically, right? Yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's like you guys are in and out. Right, totally. Um, but it's happening now. Thank goodness. Awesome. Thank you. That's great. Perfect. Uh, It's happening now, but Ben's trying to sabotage it. (laughs) Throwing water bottles around. Um, So, you guys are here with Title Fight. Yeah. It's exciting. Super exciting. Yeah. Um, And uh, where were you guys last night? Last night we were in Philly. Okay. At Union Transfer. Nice. It was a lot of fun, and then drove here today, and then back to Philly tomorrow. So, Union Transfer, Zach's... Uh, favorite venue yeah yeah it's pretty great it's yeah, definitely it up there great. for sure i only saw i saw bleachers there that's the only show i've ever seen okay there. yeah it's um the staff's great it's bowery presents so it's the same okay. people who do bowery ballroom and music hall um so it's just super efficiently run and geared towards the people playing it i think is what appeals to a lot of the bands that go there it's like there's a lot of space in the green room and the people who run it are super helpful so it's you, cool. I like it a lot. Do you guys have a lot of issues ever with like um, like security and stuff at your shows or not as much? Every once in a while. Um, not as much. Our, our, over the years, I think that as our music has kind of shifted or maybe just been introduced to a different portion of the public, our shows have gotten somewhat less stage dive heavy. Um, obviously, there's still there's still some of it, but... Um, so we have less issues with security now cause there's less interaction with security, but every once in a while it's, it's an inevitability, especially when venues that don't often house more aggressive shows right. do. So we'll have that every once in a while where we play a venue that's used to doing pop shows or whatever and used to dealing with like aggressive drunk people and not. Or just not used to seeing people pile on top of each other. And so there have definitely been times when we've had to jump into the... Really? 
and just try to like diffuse situations. Yeah. And, but we're also, we're also pretty, uh, we make it a point before shows to go over that with the venue to be like, you know, this is acceptable and this is not, and don't you're, if you're a 280 pound MMA fighter, you probably don't need to you know, throw a 17 year old kid, but right no i think that's fair yeah. i i had this moment last night i was at a show and uh i used to be really into moshing when yeah. i was like a teenager sure and then became an adult and was like i'm not really into this and now i'm just into watching other people not be into it <laughs> <laughs> like my focus is just on the guy like they run into and just like just yeah. like uh this that to me is now the entertaining part trying to like find the most apathetic person in the room like, <laughs> or just like <laughs> sort of but like also just watch someone else be annoyed or something mm-hmm. i feel like it makes me kind of sound like a bad person no i don't but I think... it's just my focus is shifting it's <laughs> an interesting perspective on uh on growing older yeah um, no i get it i think i think part of what is entertaining about going to shows especially when you go to them often or play them you know as a career or as a solid hobby is people watching like the the people who show up to shows and then watching all these people and it's an interesting there should be an anthropological study it's like an interesting socio-cultural thing how people behave in a space when they're packed together and then subjected to loud noises i guess yeah we were talking about this earlier yeah like they they don't like moving and uh yeah. yeah that's the, the the most interesting way to show that you care about something is to act like you don't care about something <laughs> and and there's definitely there's definitely like a a niche culture in music that invites that i think in art in general yeah i think so too yeah i mean like what other context could you be like taps on the shoulder and be like excuse me and then be like no <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it's so bizarre um, so I, so I did a bio for you guys for Rooms of the House yes. when it came out and we talked about it a lot and, um, I feel like we talked maybe a little bit before I got the record and you were like, this record is like a little less intense. Like there's nothing really like King Park. It's a little bit more personal. And then I got the record and like the first song, like this pregnant woman's like getting thrown from her car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. That was just the first thing. No, I that's really of. funny because yeah. I and I, I definitely talked to you about that, and I, I remember specifically to in interviews like doing the press cycle, being like the, describing the record as like going away from these catastrophic right moments to dial the microscope into everyday life, and then yeah, there's like there's that, and there's a there's the bridge collapsing. So there's definitely like pretty heavy imagery. So I guess that was a bit of a, well, maybe just like, maybe just to you, like, um, it's maybe it's relative too. Yeah, totally. And I think that with those two stories specifically, um, they're, they're not presented in the immediate, like the, the bridge collapse, the I-35 bridge collapse in, in Minnesota was, um, being witnessed by a character in the story on television or in a dream, I guess. And the song, the first track, um, is called from personal history. It's historical fiction. So it's no one like King Park was so much about that moment. Um, so I think that where King Park was about that story and about 
the fallout from that story and the media reaction, media reaction and the community reaction. Um, these, the songs on this record that are more like intense are about, uh, characters, history and, and character building. Is any of it sort of purely fiction or is it all kind of based on events or kind of personal history? Um, it's, it's, I wanted the record to be about fictional characters. So there's kind of two things going on. There's the the actual story and the disillusion, disillusionment of a relationship in a, in a shared space. And then there's three songs that kind of break the record up that are all, I would call, historical fiction. The, it's all They all have a year after them. Hudsonville, Michigan, 1956, and The Child We Lost, 1963, and The Scenes from Highways. Um, and those songs are based on true stories. Those are all personal history. One is um, my grandparents on one side, one is my grandparents on the other side, and then one is my parents in the middle. Um, and those those are the closest thing to being actual, called from actual stories. But then there's little stuff here and there. I wanted the record to be relatable and, and to be... Uh, to, I wanted people to be able to connect to it. So part of the way that I approached that was to compare moments in their um, struggle to struggles I'd had in similar situations or that people that I know and I'm close to have also had. So there were certain things that I borrowed and obscured and changed. Um, So I guess that as far as like the overarching narrative goes is the only part of it that's close to not resembling pure fiction okay and then like obviously such a big part of the record is sort of this idea of like sort of objects and how their meaning changes and it seems like that's something that you've written about a lot sort of a lot i mean i feel like talking about maybe how like a cell phone store used to be a church and wildlife or whatever i mean i think that's a really interesting idea i mean do you think not to get like too out there but like do you think like inanimate objects have sort of any not that you're saying this, but any sort of like consciousness, do you think that like, they take on parts of the world? Yeah. Like- I, I mean, I, somebody, I did an interview a while back when the record came out and somebody, and it was, it was with the press out in Germany and the, I, I was over the phone and I feel like there was maybe a little bit lost in translation, but he started talking to me about like, like weird theories about how, like what we perceive as ghosts are, are like the physical energy left by people who vacated a space who lived somewhere previously and all this stuff. And it was like, not confident that I'm willing to like commit to anything that far out as much as I recognize the possibility of anything. Um, but I think the same, I think that there's, there's some truth in that. There's some, something poignant in, in that. And I think that's part of what that is in the record. It's like, I think there, you, you, you become attached to the things that surround you. Things uh, receive memory by being present in moments of conflict or of joy or of any anything extreme. So I think that I wanted to talk about those moments of moments of collapse. Like is one of the first things I say in the record. But I didn't want to. I didn't want to do it through you know, to completely absorb into one character and be like, this is how I feel in regards to this. I wanted to tell the story in a broader context, I guess, or even just in like a different way. Um, and I, 
was reading a lot of Don DeLillo at the time. And, um, and there's a lot of that in his work. Um, so a lot of that in underworld, just the way, um, these things obtain importance and significance in your life and how you curate your home, I guess, with the person, especially when you're doing it with somebody else. I'm kind of rambling now, but no, I, uh, I have failed at reading that book three times. Yeah. I've gotten about halfway. <laughs> I failed once and then I yeah. came back to it. Yeah. I also am just not that interested in baseball. And sure. so whenever something starts talking when about baseball, the... I kinda of tune out <laughs> and that's like a really bad book to not It's a lot of there's a lot of baseball in there. Yeah. 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 See I had the benefit of being like, I love baseball. So oh, this is perfect. interesting to me. But but I can see how that would get difficult but that book in in the body artist the later book of his where there's an actual character who's kind of like this physical manifestation of a a deceased person's presence it's really bizarre but um i don't know i guess reading him and and appreciating how he builds a scene affected my process somewhat when writing that record i mean do you feel like um, do you feel like you feel that type of attachment to objects or do you just try to practice kind of non-attachment? Well, that, that was another part of the impulse for the record was, um, moving and going through all the things that I had owned. And, um, I've always been this, the sentimental pack rat. Like it's hard for me to get rid of anything. Um, I guess mild hoarder syndrome. But, um, so yeah, I just always, I just hang on to things, stupid things, little pointless things that bind me to some moment in time. And, um, so I've always been kind of that way and then moving and going through all of these things. And I guess the way that I kind of described it to my bandmates when we were first writing the record was, it's like, it's a weird time travel where you can pick up an object and suddenly it's you know suddenly you're suddenly you're 15 or you're under a bridge somewhere with your friends smoking cigarettes and breaking glass or something stupid and then pick something else up and you can be you know in a relationship you're in or with friends that you no longer have or you could be in germany for the first time watching the sunrise on a roof and berlin like and it's just like it's crazy it's a crazy process because you go through it's like everything you pick up it brings you somewhere and then it works but works in the opposite direction too because there were things that i had that made me think of plans that i made that i'd never fulfill now because these people who used to be significant in my life whether they're a loved one or a friend or or a family member who's passed or whatever they're no longer part of the conversation so there's like it's just this back and forth um so a lot of, and, and that ended up being like a really important part of the record structurally. And we were having kind of a difficult time figuring out where everything was going to go. And then when we were writing it, um, Brad, our drummer and I sat down and we just like made a timeline of where all these things fit chronologically and that's how it was going to lay out. And then it was like, we wanted to do something that was more nonlinear and then something that made you feel like you were jumping all over something that made you feel like you were going through your belongings and route to a new home so we just cut everything up and put it on different places in the timeline where did you where did you move to and from uh i moved just in my hometown of grand rapids um i had been for the last you know x number of years traveling a significant 
portion of the time. So I had moved from a house into my parents' house and kind of all my things were just still in boxes in the room. And then I had time at home and decided it made sense for me to no longer burden my yeah. my parents as a 27 year old actually it was a couple of years ago but um so i just moved out to another house in town it was just like the taking everything out of boxes right. for the first time in ages was a, a surreal experience do you like living in grand rapids i do yeah um i don't know if i've ever been there before it's it's yeah it's great it's it's not a big city it's not a small city um and there's a lot there's a lot to there's a lot of good food and a lot of good beer and a lot of good art so it's it's and it's familiar it's my it's been my home my entire life you know i don't i don't know what it's like really to live anywhere else which is yeah so gotcha and you guys are pretty i know i know vast lives in boston you guys are all fast fast moved back to grand rapids now. he did mm-hmm. i didn't know that very recently yeah wow like maybe a month before we left, a couple weeks. I had no idea. But yeah, I'm sorry. I, was, I interrupted No, it's you. fine. I thought you guys were all super spread out. But Other than Vass. Maybe everyone moved back to Grand Rapids. <laughs> we're all bad now. No, Vass and I live in Grand Rapids. Uh, Chad lives in Detroit with his wife. And Brad lives in Australia with his wife. So the four of us are all pretty scattered about. Yeah. What do you What do you sort of do when a lot of speed isn't kind of writing or recording when you're just hanging out in Grand Rapids? Uh, um... I spend a lot of time with my lady. Okay. Which is great. Um, I work on occasion for one of my older brothers owns his own construction company and does like fine carpentry, which is a lot of fun. It's work that I enjoy. Um, just getting to work with your hands, learn how to do things. It's cool to be able to build yeah. things. Um, I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> I and I've I always my, see my, my parents, and Brad's parents own a hardware store together. So I've grown okay. up in the home building industry to a degree. Um, but I've always been like my, my older brothers, my two older brothers both work in home building. And then my younger brother went to Luthier school to build guitars and is a woodworking nerd. Oh, wow. So he knows how they, so all my brothers know how to do things like that. And I've been the one who is globe trotting playing basements and you know for my adult life right so i never like so it's cool for me to go home and i get a lot of shit from my older brothers about it but it's cool for me to go home and learn how to actually do these things because there aren't that many people who know how to do it you know yeah especially and, now i feel like for sure and and my my older brother is immensely it's like it's like he, he speaks that language and it comes naturally to him. It always has. So it's profoundly interesting for me to be there witnessing him work that way because he can look at a problem and figure out the solution. Whereas I need him to be like, do this first and do this first and do this first. first. Right. It's, it's just interesting like how something can make so much sense to one person and so little to the other. So it's fun to actually sit and I guess that's like the part of me that likes to do character studies likes to watch my brother work and i don't know no, I'm weird sure. tangent do you know a lot about tools like would you can you like be like oh that would need like a hex wrench for this yeah. or something yeah that's i mean that's pretty impressive i feel like even just like knowing the lingo for sure cool. for sure it's a good set of knowledge to have especially yeah yeah i was trying to hang some pictures the other day and i was like i, I can't could, believe how hard this is i could have done that for it yeah <laughs> <laughs> should have waited man i wish i would have known <laughs>
Oh, Things you learn. It's true. Um, I'm trying to think, there's something else. Well, yeah, I was really curious about. I guess just I know we talked about this already a little bit, but maybe not ghosts specifically, but this idea of like maybe like any kind of like paranormal type stuff. Like not to get too like yeah. conspiracy, but like it seems like I I don't know. I feel like it. Maybe you don't talk about this specifically, but it, I don't know. I feel like it feeds into that a little bit. Like I yeah. feel like that stuff's really interesting. Yeah. I... You should have talked to Vass about this. You talked really? to, you talked to the right, wrong band member about paranormal activity. And I guess so. <laughs> we talked about wrestling a lot. Good. <laughs> there was a period of time in our band's history where we all got pretty, I wouldn't say all of us, some of us got pretty heavy into like weird, otherworldly, like ghost and paranormal and alien. And um, not that it ever like directly pervaded the subject matter. It was right. more like a an interesting and sometimes hilarious hobby to have, but I don't know how much anyone ever pays any attention to that anymore. But, but no, I think that it it was funny going back to that interview where the dude asked me about like manifestation of previous spiritual energies or whatever. I'm sure prob- in a super nice way being a German journalist. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't abrasive at all. Yeah. Um, it was interesting to have him pose that question. Cause I do, I, I learn things about, And I think this is true of anyone who makes art for the public forum for a living. Like I learned things about my own work through talking to other people sometimes. And that was one of those instances where I like had to go back and think about it. I was like, yeah, I guess I can't tell this dude that no, that's not a thing. Cause it, I don't know if I'm making any sense at all right now. No, I understand what you're saying. But like he said that, and I think you can go back and and understand where that where that thought derived from i guess is what i mean there's go ahead i mean do you feel like like in the sense like when you enter like a space are you like i wonder what this was before i wonder who else was here yeah especially in when we were writing the record and leading up to writing the record like that's um the first time i thought about it was when it was months prior to us going to a cabin to record to write um and i was up north in michigan in the upper peninsula in november with my dad and my one of my older brothers and then some other friends of my dad um and we this guy that i know who my dad one of my dad's old friends I only know him like I don't know him to any degree of seriousness. Like I see him once a week out of the year, and he's a nice guy. He's totally unlike me. Like this is deer camp. This is going up north and hunting. And I don't hunt, but like I'll go up with my with my dad and my brothers. It's like the thing that my dad did with his dad. Gotcha. So I'll just go up and hang out and go out in the woods and drink beer and and it's a very Michigan thing, very Midwest thing. Um. So I, I know this guy, he's like, he grew up in the country, he's a deer hunter, and like, just, we have very, very little in common. If you, we talked about politics for one second, it would get contentious. So I just, if he brings up anything, I leave the room, and my brothers know it, my dad knows it. And, right. Um, but he was talking about his sister, and she had, she's very ill, I think it was cancer, and she's also obese, and 
she's pretty much bedridden. But if they had to move her, her he and his siblings had to put her on a bed sheet to like pull her into the other room to like sit in the living room to watch TV because she was so so sick and that I remember being outside in the upper peninsula of the state of Michigan sitting on the porch listening to him talk this person that I've only ever known is you know my dad's deer hunting friend right and hear him talk about that and then to think about I think later in the conversation he was talking about what happens to the house when she when she passes and it's just crazy to think about there's all those like Hollywood stories or whatever about people who've been like murdered in a house and then people who live in the house after somebody was murdered or maybe people don't want to buy a house like the real estate goes down if somebody right. was murdered in the house but there's so many other things like that's a that's a really powerful scene like that's a really intense image and thing for anyone to deal with and that's all happening in this house and then after she passes what happens to that what happens to that moment in time you know so that was part of part of that impulse too to talk about like you know in that record there's the moment of like the unalluded to moment of collapse where this relationship falls falls apart and then everything that happened between these two people in that space is left there with the one person who still occupies it and then what happens after that person leaves yeah no i i have some friends who moved into a place where someone had died in it and had not been found for a while and then i guess you like sort of like not to get too gross but like yeah. you sort of like explode basically i think yeah. from like some kind of gas sure type. yeah and they got this like amazing deal in this apartment and uh i guess like some people were, were like weirded out by it and i feel like i would be like well if you like cleaned it out like kind of like who cares yeah i don't know right i don't know i don't know what i would do in that same situation because it's like just worry that you're always going to think about that when yeah. you walk into that room. But in the end, it's just you put your stuff. It's in just it. a room. Yeah, but know? but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I feel like it's like a very. I don't. I feel like there are like there's like just like these weird persisting kind of not superstitions, but like totally it's so crazy to me how like there aren't thirteenth floors in buildings still. It's insane, right? Right, like, and everyone just like accepts it as this thing. It's crazy. Yeah, it's. Those like little everyday paranoias. It's there. I don't know. It's it's crazy. Thirteenth floor thing is insane. The thirteenth floor thing is so weird. People and I think die it, everywhere too. Like, yeah, people die. Like I don't know. I have no. I have no delusions about death, and I, I'm I'm not. I don't think that if I walked through a graveyard and I accidentally stepped on a gravestone, I'm gonna be haunted by somebody's it's such an archaic and antiquated belief right it's still a part of i don't know the collective thought process (laughs) i guess i guess it's a whole lot of like it's just a big what if for everybody it has to be like i could walk under this ladder and i'm not going to right because what if what if I'm really going to get, what's the latter right. one? Like seven years bad luck or something? I think something like that. Something like that. 
I don't know. It's funny, yeah, because when Vass was on, we talked, I think we talked about death a lot for some reason, and wrestling. Um, death and wrestling. Yeah. And it was so funny, because I was, I was like, I think about it a lot, like, do you think, and he's like, no, I'm, like, busy doing stuff. Mm. Like, what's the point? Like, I think about, like, what I'm going to get accomplished today. Sure. Which I feel like is a way better attitude. 100%. <laughs> Which camp do you feel like you fall into? The one that thinks way too much about everything. <laughs> Completely. I thought maybe you're on, on yeah no Vass is so much more yeah you, you and I probably uh, to analyze to our own detriment but that's always been what's interesting to me you know like Vass is very I envy that I envy that so much and uh, Brad our drummer is that way too in a lot of ways like set your tasks up and accomplish them where I have to fight every possible distraction in order to get anything done because my brain goes off in a thousand different directions thinking about why there's no 13th floor. <laughs> like some stuff like totally. that. Totally. Yeah. So. Do you feel I, like you've always sort of been that way? Yeah, for sure. I think that it's always just been my inclination to, I don't know, I guess it comes from being a sentimental person. I Nah, that's the wrong word. I don't know. I've always wanted to. I've always been interested in people and and how people function and what goes on and how they interact and with each other and especially and the more the longer the older I get and the more we do as a band too, the more I'm functioning creatively. The more I tend towards that, looking for. I don't know. <laughs> everything sounds seems so cliche everything i want to say but just looking for poignancy and things looking for and i think it does i think it comes from wanting to tell stories or wanting to write i mean have you ever thought of writing sort of like a novel or, or that type of thing i think about it often and always have you know that's the two things i've always wanted to do with my life since i was a little kid where write books and be a singer in a band and I fell into being a singer in a band, which I'm probably much more suited towards because I lack the discipline that that someone like Vass has to accomplish things. And that I, I think that you you probably become. I would never call my I never call myself a writer. I, I don't think that I can do that until I learn the self-discipline because I think that's just as much a part of it as being able to arrange words on a page. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No, I feel like I feel like <laughs> I've made, like made a living off writing for like 12 years. Like I don't feel like a writer. <laughs> You're more of a writer than I am. I don't know. I mean, I feel like does that lead into because this actually reminded me. I remember when I was doing the bio, um, like you guys were trying to finish a record and maybe the vocals went longer or something. Yeah. Was that, was that sort of like the same kind of issue? Was it just harder to get something you were happy with yeah, or was completely. it? Um, yeah, I ended up making several trips back and forth to, uh, outside of Pennsylvania or outside of Philadelphia, Contra Hawken. Um, so you, and one to Chicago. Yet? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cause I, I couldn't, um, for whatever reason i don't know i'm sure you've gone through it and i think everybody does you get writer's block or if you're not a writer and you do something else creative you get something else block whatever it might be so um and i think it was a number of factors but yeah it's it's hard for me to commit to making something permanent 
and the older I get, the more so it's like that. The more I'm, um, I want everything to be in its right place before, because you can't, there's no changing it. You can't go back. So well, there's, go ahead. Would you just sort of like, you'd finish vocals and then you'd get home and listen to it and be like, eh, I want to. No, before I'd even track, I would just like, I looked like a, an insane person if you've gone through my notebooks, because I would have pages and pages and pages and pages of just the same sentence written over probably to the point where i was like i I was writing the same sentence that i'd written the first time at some point without knowing it like there's only so many combinations of these words that make sense so but i I would just sit in the studio and i would just fuss over uh, and it's it's a twofold process because most importantly i want to tell the story i want the words to be in the right place right and the other thing is that i have i want things to be interesting to listen to without depending too heavily on a melody because i don't often sing so i can't just change the notes i have to change the it's almost percussion it's like i have to change the syncopation i have to change the the way the pattern of the words so like every time I'd get, and then it has to work with the music, right? Which is the other thing. And they, you know, I was well, my bandmates are pouring their heart and soul into making these songs fit. And the anxiety as a singer when you're the last piece is you're gonna ruin it by whining over it or whatever, right? Of course. So there's that too, where it was like, I don't know. So it's just like this big giant pool of intersecting anxieties and um yeah i don't know what the original what i was supposed to be answering well i guess what i was curious about was um <laughs> what was i gonna say um <laughs> I, r- I rambled us away from no, 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 anything this, resembling order totally this is like every conversation with lucas like what was i talking about <laughs> uh and then like five minutes later we figured out mm-hmm. um Was it, is there any element of like, wow, all these kids are going to be like singing these words back to me every night? Like, I want it to sort of like be the best thing it can be in that sense. Is it like, or is it more kind of like an internal kind of drive? It's, it's more of an internal thing for sure. It's, I think it's me holding myself to a standard. Like I, I, I think anybody who does anything that they're passionate about wants to be good at it you know not necessarily like i want the critical reception or the praise from people in the audience you want to do what you've chosen to do as well as you can do it you want to be good um and then when you operate in an industry that's interdependent where it's not if it's one thing if, if i'm writing for myself but when i'm writing for myself and for Chad, and for Brad, and for Vass, there's an added pressure because you want it to be good because you're doing this thing together. It's a collective, it's a collective project, and you're yeah. So I think you do it for yourself. And I, I, I the only the only time that I ever really consider now how people will interpret what I say or how they will receive the content of our songs is um 
there's so many songs from our past that were written that I never really considered the ramifications of. And I think we were talking earlier off camera, off microphone, (laughs) off the record, record. (laughs) Um, about songs written about divorce. And when I wrote those songs when I was young, I never considered that they would get back to the people who they were about. Um, but, and that was my, that was my, so that was my first experience writing from anyone other, anyone else's perspective. So I wanted to make sure that I told those stories carefully. Um, so I think if I, if I, the only time I ever really think about what people are going to think of what I'm saying is, if I'm using someone else's story, I need to be true to the conflict and to the characters and I need to represent it accurately. And I need to not point a finger because it's not my place to to put blame. So I don't know if that was to yeah, your point at all. It is. But I mean, like, is that sort of like, is that sort of like not, maybe not an ethical concern, but I mean, are you ever sitting here like, oh, I really want to do this thing, but like, I know it's going to bum this person out. No, I think that the stories that I've told in the past of all, I think, I, I think there was a place for them being written. Um, if, if I had that impulse, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. They wouldn't be stories I wanted to tell. I don't think, um, without at least, I guess, receiving permission. If I really want, I don't know. I mean, do you ever feel like, man, I was like, I nailed it on that song or like, cause I feel like I almost never feel that way. I mean, do you think you always kind of have that drive? Like, not like, like you're like, Oh, that was okay. But like, yeah, you always feel like it's, I don't know. There's more you could do or like it's, it's there's, I am, as you can tell, and anyone who listens to this can tell, <laughs> I talk too much. So there, I always feel like I could be talking more. It's been a really difficult, learning process for me trying to to learn how to self-edit that was a big part of writing rooms was me trying to dial it back down the same way that my bandmates did musically on a lot of those songs and be more sparse with what i'm saying and try to tell stories in less words but when you're when you're doing it like the last two records we did are they have like an a narrative structure they have people's stories and they have an overarching idea that connects them all together and i could i feel like i could always talk more always draw it out more but i don't know i think this with this last record i think that and with wildlife i look at those as once you have time to decompress and distance yourself from the process, you can look back and kind of objectively look at your own work. And I think those records are what they had to be. Is it hard ever for you, especially alive, to like remember? Because so, I feel like there's so many words. There's too many words. There's Charlie. a lot of words. So many I mean, words. it sounds cool, yeah. but I can, cannot... <laughs> It's a combination of me feeling like I'm going to die on stage <laughs> in front of a live audience sometimes. And also, yeah, there's definitely nights where I blank. And there's there was a time in my life where I would do that and I would just beat myself up about it. Yeah. But 
what are you doing? Like I did it last night. I screwed up a line. I, there's a lot of repetition in songs too. So there's a lot of like me saying a line and then slightly varying that line later in a song or in an album. And sometimes I'll jump from one to the other and lose my place. And last night we were in front of we were like 1,100 kids and I completely forgot a line and they didn't. Right. And I just laughed. I just stood there and was like, what do I do? I act like the microphone's broken or something. <laughs> I don't know. This is not working. Yeah. What happened? So I just, I just laughed. I was like, yeah. Was it, was it like, I think that's. Uh, like the best reaction you can have yeah. and that oh, makes the most sense yeah and it's like in the grand scheme of things like who, who cares? cares but i mean did it take you kind of a long time to get to that point yeah um and mostly that comes again from being in a band like the f- five of us for our history and the four of us now have worked really hard to make this thing perfect and to make this thing um what it is now and all of my bandmates are perfectionists so i think if it was just me i would who gives a shit but the fact that i'm up there not only representing myself but my bandmates and this thing that everybody's worked hard so when you screw up there's definitely like a right but i think it for all of us even if we are still too hard on ourselves in that regards we've gotten better than we used to do we used to be and we probably would not be a band had we not learned to concede that a live environment is a live environment and things happen and things go wrong things break you screw up whatever i've tripped over so many monitors i've fallen in front of people and you can't have an ego about it you just laugh about it it's funny yeah it's hilarious (laughs) it is hilarious i feel like that sort of comes with getting older too like i feel like the older i get like i just kind of don't care about anything as much and not in like a like detached way but just like i'm just like eh like whatever like this this is how i look like, right you know life's what I mean? way like, too short to yeah. to beat yourself up about every little thing that doesn't go your way yeah like shit's gonna happen You're, i today today two stories last night we played in philadelphia and after the set was done i there's these two kids dead center who sang more words than I did because I forgot that line. And I went and got setless. I was like, I'm going to go get these kids because they look like they will appreciate it. Right. And anytime I do this, the the same re- I get the same reaction from people who are along the barricade. Like, I want these two people to have it, but everybody's trying to grab it from me. So I grabbed Bass's set list and my set list and I knelt down and I wait and they put their hands out and I like very slowly put my hands up to give these two kids specifically. And then they grabbed them and said, thank you. And I wanted to beeline it out of there. And the house lights were down and our stage lights were down and my microphone stand was directly behind me, but I didn't know it. And it is heavy. It's like, it's the probably the heaviest microphone stand you can buy because i break them so often so we bought like this crazy heavy duty it's like an inch and a half diameter you could kill several people with it and i turned around to get off stage as quickly as i could and caught myself directly in the forehead and even if they didn't see it they heard it because it pinged so loud that our stage our tour manager heard it off uh, (laughs) the side of the stage 
So I'm in front of all these people and I just turned and hit my forehead on a piece of metal and I just ran off stage. Like I just got out of there as quickly as I possibly could and told the story to everybody and laughed about it. And then today I was walking into the venue loading in and uh had something to do and there was like three kids who saw me and like came over to talk to me or take pictures or whatever but i had to do something so i was like i'll come back i'm just gonna run up these stairs quick and i totally tripped going up the stairs and almost ate shit one of the venue employees caught me so these kids saw me eat shit trying to avoid talking to them in that moment so i went back and talked to them yeah, I, there's like a couple places in this neighborhood specifically that I can't go back to because I've just done super <laughs> embarrassing stuff there. Like one place I just walked, they had a glass door and I wasn't, I literally just walked into it so loud that people outside like turned around <laughs> and I had to go to this meeting and had this like huge, like at like a major label, this huge yeah. like red bump. People were like, what happened to you? <laughs> and I was like, I just can't go back in this place again no, ever though, for sure. Yeah, no. That's the guy who walked into the glass door. Yeah, yeah. Or like I got served like the wrong drink once and just drank it. Cause I was like, Oh, whatever. And then the waitress came over and was like, did you drink that? Like that was for someone else. I gave it. And I was like, I don't know. Literally there was, <laughs> I probably told her, but there was one other person at this restaurant. <laughs> I was like, how is... Yeah, how did you screw this yeah, up? Yeah, I was like, I thought I was the one just like, whatever, I'll pay for this thing. Like, I don't want to cause any trouble. Dude, you are so much like me in that regard. <laughs> if I get my, if my food order comes wrong, I just assumed that I ordered it wrong. Yeah, 100%. It's a really weird way to approach things. But I got the, the other day, I ordered something and I had to like really later go back and run through everything that had happened in this interaction with the guy at the restaurant. And was like, wait, no, I totally ordered the right thing and I got the wrong thing. I knew it, but I was like, I probably screwed up. I'm just going to take it and eat it. This is fine. Whatever. This is a fear of conflict or just, or just, I always think I'm in the wrong. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Oh, maybe both. Sure. They're probably related if we got, if we got a little deeper, but we got psychoanalyzed. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just the idea. Yeah. If something, someone makes a mistake, like it must be me. Like first assumption is like, first assumption. It's immediately where my brain goes. Yeah. And like so much has to go into assuring me that it's not. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, you're just saying that because you know it is, but you don't want me to... Right. Yeah. I've definitely had people, like friends be like, no, you, if you don't go and complain about this thing where you were definitely in the right, I will do it for you because you need to... I'm just like, ah, whatever. And I do that with my girlfriend all the time. Like, I, I will get a receipt at a restaurant and it will be... My bill will be wrong. And I'll be like, ah, it's fine. It's just $4. It's cool. She's like, yeah, it's $4 and it's right. not your fault. So go talk and they'll correct it. And I just, I'm like, no, I probably, I don't know. That's the one it's good weird. thing that I do like about the internet though. It's so much easier to kind of like complain about shit or be a, <laughs> yeah. like, I could, I would never. Condition of anonymity. Dude, yeah. I, it's two days ago. Like I got the most disgusting coffee. I, my own photos like by this Dunkin' Donuts by my house. Yeah. I got coffee and it was like seriously like undrinkable. And I was like, I had a sip. I was like, should I go and change? I was like, no. And then I got home. I was I'm like, I'm going to go on Twitter. I'm going to go on Twitter. And I tweeted <laughs> at them. I was like, hey, it's, it's like something so shit. Like, I was like, is your coffee supposed to have like an antifreeze aftertaste to it or something? <laughs> and no one ever responded. But like, you know, you have this self-congratulatory like, yeah, like. Yeah, the internet really empowers people like you <laughs> and me. This is why, I, actually, which is I, which is why I have to stay completely away from it. Yeah, you're actually doing nothing, but you feel like, dude, it's so funny. It's but, so funny. The other day, I went, I did like my first, honestly, first delve into reading Yelp reviews. Oh, dude! Because I was, I was trying to find people complaining about 
one of my best friends who works the door at a bar. Like okay. the worst part of, not the worst part, of, like great part of Grand Rapids, great bar, but like on a strip with all the really terrible, you know, whatever, terrible bro clubs that I'd never go to. So he has like terrible interactions with people all the time. But I'm when sure. you're a door guy in a situation like that, you kind of have to be an ass. So he was telling me about how his co-workers will find stories of on Yelp. So I'm like going through this, reading it. And I didn't find one about him, but I, it was amazing how many people sign up for Yelp to leave a review and then never Yelp again. There's like a, there's like people who are like pro Yelpers. Yes. And then there's like guy who was real butthurt about his fries being undercooked. Who's just like, I'm going to log in. I'm going to sign up and make a, like pick an avatar and give myself a name just so I can be like one star. My fries were undercooked. It's crazy. Well, what's the craziest part, which is crazier than either of those scenarios yeah. is probably me or you who you're like, well, I'm going to take these strangers opinions <laughs> into so mind true. when i make it's a decision so yeah. like these people like who like who are probably all out of their minds and i'm gonna base like what i order yeah, on this right right it's totally an, that's totally. the craziest it's you're very right you're that's so funny good good perspective <laughs> i mean do you stay away from the internet stay away from the internet i mean yeah. so you don't really do like the instagram twitter i like, don't do anything no i have i have a secret twitter account that okay. i have never tweeted from that i just follow hockey writers pretty okay. much essentially and like a scattered assortment of news sources but um i can't i i have no interest in having a social media profile which i think sometimes is i don't know it comes on like a lot of different levels i have twice in the last year neglected to text you back about things that i could have very easily been like yes like and didn't what I do all the time when I get text messages from people is like I will properly respond at a later moment, you know, and then I just never remember to go back. It's a serious problem. So I think that if I had any sort of like even social media profile with just my friends, I would. It's just another way for me to be a bad friend. <laughs> And that sucks. Well, in your defense, like you have a publicist who like sets stuff up. Like, I can, like that's how I made uh, this happen. Like, you not- said like a really nice thing about our record, though, when it came out, and I never responded to that. And that's stupid. That sucks. Like, you're my friend, and you said a very nice thing to me. I should be able to be like, I really appreciate that. Your opinion means a lot to me. You know, and I don't do shit like that, which is so stupid but you also don't do like waste hours and hours a day <laughs> staring at this thing. Like to me, that's incredible. Sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think that it's, it's a, it would be another way for me to be a bad friend to the people I care about. And I just don't, I don't, I'm incredibly uncomfortable with every level of celebrity that comes with this world. I would be lying, obviously, if I said that there wasn't something in me that like operates on a level of vanity because i think if you choose to perform music for people like or to write music to do anything other than just have for yourself you want something of that but like the whole just the the way that internet propels celebrity on a small scale into a large scale makes me incredibly uncomfortable and i've never never liked that and i think that I'd just rather 
hide from it than anything. You know, I don't like going out on stage and people specifically saying my name or saying, trying to talk to me. It's like, you don't know me. You don't, you don't love, you certainly don't love me, which is what a lot of people say. Like you, you like our band. Our band means something to you. What we five do collectively, you appreciate. And that's really powerful. That's a profound connection to have with somebody. Um, but I feel like if I were to, yeah, if I were to have any sort of social media profile, it would be exploiting something that in general, I would rather not be a part of. I mean, but you must get a lot of people who sort of think that they know you because yeah, which is, it's, I I don't want to ever sound like jaded, like jaded music dude. Cause, um, cause I had those bands, you know, I, everybody, everybody I think who gets into this industry does. So like, I thought I knew hot water music when I was 15, you know, um, because I connected to what they were doing because they, they, they spoke to things I felt and experienced and that was important. And I still have artists like that getting older that I like really, you really connect to because it's, yeah, it's relevant to you and it's cathartic. And I think it's incredibly cool and powerful that people take that from what we do it was never an in, an intention. It was just always, these are the things that I felt comfortable talking about and that I was good at talking about. And then now how do we get letters from people and people feel comfortable telling us pretty intense personal things. And a lot of times that's accompanied with being like, thank you for helping me process this or... And that's a really, that's an incredible thing. I mean, do you, do you feel like as time goes on, you get sort of more comfortable, maybe not like celebrities, like you can't leave the house, but like, obviously if like you're going in and out of one of your shows, there's a lot of people. I mean, is that something that gets more, cause I feel like I see it a lot with my sister. Yeah, sure. Um, cause she's, you know, sort of a celebrity and so people get recognized and then like, anyone says hi to me i'm like uh i'm like oh i'm so glad it's her because she's so good yeah, at it right and i feel like right. i'm just so awkward in any context sure yeah i mean i've i communicating with people has always been easy for me like so it just it, a social interaction is so i'm perfectly willing and happy to talk to people and it's it's cool to have those conversations sometimes um sometimes the thing the thing about it that i that i really don't like and I think anybody who, you know, has an anatomy level in the public eye, even if it's on a very small scale, like it is for me, um, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a pressure to keep up. Like you don't want people to think you're an asshole, but there are sometimes you don't want to talk to people. And for most people, I would say that there's like, there's a level of understanding. They understand that you have a personal life. You have things going on. You're away from home. You're tired. Like, so the last thing I want to do sometimes after I've had a shit day, after I've gotten in a fight with somebody or whatever, right, is go out and put on this face and sit for an hour after we play and 
and sign autographs and take pictures and especially take pictures. If everybody just wanted to talk, that'd be cool. But the picture thing drives me because there's always tangent, but go ahead. There's always the like, just can I just get a quick, quick picture? It's like, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Quick picture. Okay. And then like, like, how do you, Where's the where's the photo button? Like I've never seen this like, film before. Jenny, like now it's gone. Now it's gone. I closed it. How do I work this? And then they go back and they grab it and they're like, I just gotta open it. You just press this button. They're like, okay, all right, okay, I got it. Wait, I need to take one with the flash. And then like the t- <laughs> so I'm just and I'm just sitting there like played for an hour and a half, traveled all day, and I'm perfectly willing. But you don't you don't even want to like talk you don't want to have any interaction you just, you just want, want like evidence you want evidence yeah and and then and then i just like the rest of my night i just have this white light in the middle of my vision from people's flashes going off and there's never a quick picture and <laughs> but anyway it's fine it's fine it's such a little thing it's such a little inconvenience um but yeah the, the but going to that like it, it's amazing how many people watch entire sets through their cell phone it's like everybody's so obsessed and desperate for the evidence of what they're doing that they're not really doing what they you know like yeah i think that's because we're in like this transitional time with technology and like the yeah. et- etiquette kind of hasn't been established sure because sure. it wasn't that up before all this stuff and i feel like eventually it'll like all automatically be shared or it'll be like i think you're right so but i feel like we're in this weird stage where we have these like physical things Mm -hmm. and we want and i also feel like it drives me crazy but then when i'm sitting home at night on youtube i'm like oh i love the song when there's a live version and i'll totally watch it and i'll be like i was at the show i was probably mad at this person yeah and now i'm being a total hypocrite yeah totally no that's funny um yeah i think that there's just establishing a balance and yes um and I'll say, I'll say that now, like for a while I was like, well, I don't want to be rude whatever, but like, I think it's important to be engaged and to be in the moment. And not only does it make it a more rich experience for you, but it does for the people around you and it does for the people who are performing for you. If you're all just, you're really like present here and the person behind you doesn't have to stare at your phone also, but no, that's funny. That's true. Like everybody goes and watches videos on YouTube for sure. But it drives everyone crazy. But it drives too. everyone crazy. But that's that's I mean that's media sharing. That's the world in which we live. I guess so. I don't know, but I think you're right. I think maybe it's transitional. Maybe we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But in the meantime, it's going to be like a Yelp review of you being like, <laughs> "I saw Jordan after the show. He's such a dick to me." <laughs> oh, I hope not. That's why. That's another reason why I can't. I can't. I don't want people to say that. That's not very nice. No, I'm sure no one's really saying that. <laughs> I guarantee it happens. Whatever. It doesn't bother me. But no, I don't know. It's, yeah, I guess that, that the conclusion to the point that I was originally trying to make before I went off on 900 tangents was that like, I love talking to people and I, I try to go out and talk to people every night. And, but there are some nights that you just, you're just tired or you want to hang out with your friends, you know? Right. So a lot of cities where it's like, we leave at one o'clock every night. So it's like, I have a window from finishing loading out at midnight to leaving at one o'clock to see people who came to hang out who I don't get to see very often. So I could do that. Right. Or, you know, so it's just, it's just there's a lot going on. 
I think just figuring out a balance. Like. Exactly. Totally. So, but I don't know. It's fun to talk to people. And that's, I guess that's my only actual complaint to file is that a lot of people don't talk. I would like, it's, it's cool to just like shoot the shit with people that you've never met before. Not a lot of people make those, have those connections anymore. Just like, how often does anyone talk to a stranger? Yeah. Well, that's like what I talk about Stephen all the time. Like, that's my favorite part of doing this podcast. It's just like yeah. it's an excuse to talk to someone for an hour without a phone out or right, whatever. Totally, this it's crazy. It's fun. Yeah, we should do it again sometime. Yeah, for sure, definitely. <laughs> Um, that was Jordan Jire, singer of La Dispute. Jordan, thanks for coming by. Um, what did you think of that podcast, Brad? I thought that was fantastic. You know, not, I'm not a rabid fan or anything. No. But, um, I'm a fan now. Yeah. You know, I think you actually would really like their music. It's, it's very... Oh, I've heard, I've heard La Dispute. Yeah. Not, yeah, I don't dislike it. Yeah. I just don't, I don't, I don't listen to anything, so. I feel like that's a pretty high compliment for you. <laughs> I, I don't dislike it. <laughs> <laughs> what more could you ask for? <laughs> um, but yeah, I would check out all of their records. They're all good. Wildlife is cool. Um, their new one, Rooms of the House, is great. The earlier stuff is is also... It's, it's all kind of different. It's all very interesting. Lucas from United Nations filled in, played guitar on them with them for a couple tours, um, which is cool too. So yeah. That was a great podcast. Speaking of great podcasts, every week we do a great podcast. Every single week. Yes. How do we do that? Well, uh, I have a lot of free time, A. <laughs> Rubber Tracks is very generous to us, B. And C, the support of our listeners. So uh, we don't have any advertisers right now. And we have, uh, we have to pay for a server every month. So if you want to donate a dollar, go to goingofftrack.com. It's super easy. And, uh, you know, it's a lot more fulfilling than you know the guy who like dumps creamer in your coffee and you give a dollar give a dollar to us yeah why not i don't know why i'm always like shitting on bartenders and baristas (laughs) during this part yeah what's up with that i don't know i just feel like somebody uh, i I just feel like it's it's hard to like i feel like you're so used to giving it like tipping a dollar to people when like you see them because you're like not guilty but like it's part of the thing it's like doing it anonymously over the internet you're like no one fucking knows what i'm listening to it's true. So that's just why I use that kind of analogy. And I have a lot of friends who are bartenders who probably think I'm a total dick now, <laughs> which is fair. Fair I am kind of a dick. Uh, but yeah, goingofftrack.com, donate, whatever. That's great. Um, leave us a good comment on iTunes. Tell your friends about it. Um, a lot of dispute fans, you know, next time you're at a show, be like, oh, I love Jordan. Like, oh, you should hear him on this cool podcast, <laughs> Going Off Track. <laughs> And booze fans, next time you're out having a drink, just tell the bartender, hey, I'm not tipping you this time because I'm going to give it to Jonah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Point at that guy and be like, that guy's <laughs> telling people not to tip people in the service industry so that you'll tip his weird podcast. <laughs> sure, that'll work out just really go good to, for me. go to one of Jonah's DJ gigs and do that all night every time you order a drink. So yeah. Like, I'm going to tip the DJ. Yeah. It'll just be like the tips on Jonah. He'll get you the end of the night. <laughs> I don't know. I probably deserve it. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. If you work in the service industry, I'm sure you're working hard. But guess what? We're working hard too. <laughs> okay. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks to Jordan for coming by. Thanks to Lot Dispute for being a cool band. Thanks to Brad for everything. <laughs> so this podcast would not exist without Brad. Thanks for Jonah. Thanks to Jonah for caring so much. And thanks to anyone who is still listening at this point. <laughs> All three of you. Uh, we'll be back next week. Bye.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.